Welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, your co-host and moderator for this episode. Lily will not be joining us this week. She is currently reenacting the scene in Superman 2 where the boy falls over the railing at Niagara Falls. But That's my favorite scene in the whole movie. <laughs> Do you ever wish that that kid just didn't make it? I a mean, little he's such bit. A, he's such a pompous little thing and the parents should be or you know not even that I, I shouldn't say that i shouldn't say that the kids shouldn't make it but the parents should be held more accountable for that if superman maybe made it look like he didn't save the kid for a little while yeah until he like just about to hit the bottom and you know swoops and, in yeah and then maybe like 15 minutes later when the parents are crying kind of like all right here's the kid don't do that again <laughs> sorry i couldn't do it but <laughs> but joining me Currently being digested in the belly of the Sarlacc is Sean. Good times. Good times. <laughs> Me and Bubba here. Enjoying it. Well, since Lily will not be joining us, we are going to do something a little different. This week, we watched the trailer for the much-anticipated cinematic event of the year, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. It's only been out for four months or so, but, you know, might as well get to it now. Yeah. This episode will be obsolete in a few months, but... Let's, we can have some fun in the meantime. Yeah, we, we should say that one of the reasons we're doing this, even though it is a little bit dated and it's been analyzed to death at this point, the trailer, but we have our own takes on things, is that, um, just in case anyone doesn't know, there will be a second, longer trailer coming out on May 1st with the new Avengers movie, which is called Avengers Age of... Ultron. Ultron, yes. Uh, May 1st is coming out. And it has been announced that the second Star Wars Episode Seven trailer will be on that. And what I heard, it's about a minute 30 uh, in length Okay. for that second trailer. I saw some um, some spoilers on one of the uh, Episode Seven fan sites. No. I should say, this will be a spoiler-free episode. We will not delve into anything more than what's released from Star Wars... Itself. Yes, yeah, of and course. And J.J. Abrams. That's been put out. And the only thing that... They didn't have any real information about it. The only thing I will say about the new trailer that is coming out is that it will show the primary characters okay. in, the, in the new trailer. When I say primary characters, I mean uh, Leia, Han, C-3PO, R2-D2. I've oh, heard okay. will be in... I'm not sure how long will be in this trailer. So wow. that's kind of something I look forward to. That's exciting. Yes. I probably won't watch it. Oh, I will. I hate trailers now. They they show way too much. Should I tell you about the Age of Ultron one? Uh, no, no, no. That? Oh, you want me to say anything? I already saw the Hulkbuster Iron Man suit. That already gave away too much. Oh, it's fantastic. I know. Maybe until you see the part about the, uh, you know, the, the, the thing where, you know. I'm the thing's in it? The thing's in it, yes. <laughs> the thing and uh, Mr. Fantastic, too. Oh, I think you saw the wrong trailer. Oh, uh, maybe. <laughs> Guy starts on lights on fire. Is he in the Avengers? Fire guy. Fire guy. Yeah. Johnny Flame, whatever his name is. Yeah, he's Captain America now. Used to oh, be Johnny Storm. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Johnny Storm. That's it. Yeah, it's hard to keep track. Yeah. Well, in life, you know, it's hard to fill the shoes of a legend. You want to be the guy that fills the shoes of the guy that tried to fill the shoes of a legend. And fortunately for J.J. Abrams, he didn't have to fill the shoes of 
creator of the Star Wars trilogy, George Lucas, he got to fill the shoes of the guy that filled his shoes. That was creator of the Star Wars prequel trilogy, George Lucas. Yes. So certainly not a tough act to follow. I, there's really not much that he could do that would disappoint me at this point. Well, can I? I, I want to say my impressions that when I heard that J.J. Abrams was directing. Yes. I am a fan of J.J. Abrams' work. I enjoyed some of the the shows he's come out with and tried to put on the um, small screen and also the big screen. I, I was a bit concerned after I saw Star Trek, the rebooted Star Trek from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. The concern was, I guess it's because I'm a uber geek with Star Trek and Star Wars, that it was a total reinvention as if you haven't seen Star Wars or Star Trek. It's going to really get me. Star Trek, <laughs> the J.J. Abrams reboot. It was a total reinvention of the original series. The only thing that saved it for me, and when I say reinvention, I mean the ship was different, the interior of the ship was different, controls were different, they're very futuristic-seeming controls compared to the original series or the original series movies. There's a lot of glare, which I wasn't a fan of in the first Star Trek movie. That's his thing. It's his thing. So... The only thing that saved it for me was the fact that they did explain that it was an alternate universe based off of the primary Star Trek universe. It was a deviation of the timeline, I guess you could say, an alternate timeline. Yeah, I thought that was a great idea, too. I'm glad they did it, because I would have been a total different opinion if they hadn't put that, that point in. That, you know, the fact that Nero's ship came through affected Kirk's life and everyone's life kind of like a domino effect. So that kind of saved it for me. But he does have a, a reinvention of these of that series. I mean, that was a huge thing. The second one, Into Darkness, was better for me. I thought he did a great job with that. I, I think he did, you know, a good reinvention of that story mm-hmm. uh, or that the con story and the whole thing. So I was a little concerned. So And carrying on, I am a little concerned about Episode 7. And as we go through the trailer, I mean, I'll, I'll express my concerns a little more. Just because he does have such a different idea. And I would I would tend to think that Star Trek and Star Wars fans are both around the same level of fanaticism. Oh, sure. And uh, continuity. And it's a, it's a group of people you don't want to get on your bad side. <laughs> Star Wars fans are really loyal to, except for the prequel series... Um, what they've they've seen in the past, especially with you know Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, that's something that they grew up with. A lot of people who are in their thirties, forties, fifties at this point. So to change that at all might be a huge issue for them. I guess we'll have to see. So it was announced that this would be one of three future sequels to the Star Wars trilogy that we're well familiar with. This most recent installment of the Star Wars saga is going to be released in theaters on December 18th, 2015. I believe it was originally slated to appear around summertime? Yeah, and actually it's funny, I heard a rumor recently, and I'm sure this is just a rumor, that J.J. Abrams was so concerned about plot details getting out of Star Wars Episode Seven that he was going to actually release it about four or five months early. Oh, wow. Earlier than the December 18th release date, which would put it sometime in the summer. Well, I would much rather have a late movie that's done right than uh, something rushed into theaters that uh, maybe has some 
plot issues, some script details that are inconsistent. So I'm all for this. I, yeah, I think it's important, too, to talk for a second about how Star Wars Episode Seven came to be. If you haven't heard, I, I don't think George Lucas was really big on making the post-series after Return of the Jedi 7, 8, and 9. I don't think it was in his long-term plans after the prequel series, but if you haven't heard, LucasArts was purchased by the Disney company. I looked this up. I It said October 2012. I couldn't believe it had been that long ago. I was thinking maybe late 2013, early 2014. It's been a while. I didn't even it's realize It's been a that. long time, and Disney is going in true Disney fashion. They are going all out with Star Wars. They know how profitable it is i even heard rumors of a theme park at disney world just based around star wars which would be fantastic honestly (laughs) but they are going to give disney credit they are going all out they are producing and committed to these three pre uh postquil and that's a word sequel sequel films (laughs) postquil sequel films (laughs) they've committed to these three sequel films plus a whole bunch of animated and other tie-in TV series also in yeah. other movies. Right now we have uh, Star Wars Rebels is a Disney animated series that takes place a few years before New Hope okay. uh, that has gotten really good ratings on Disney XD. So they have the money, they have the the, the rights now, and they're throwing everything they have at it. So that's a, a positive thing, I think, for the franchise. Now, George Lucas had some film treatments for some future sequels. I don't think he had any scripts lined up, but basically he had notes and he had the story kind of plotted out beyond episode six. In fact, there is a interview, I think it's uh, a UK morning television program that was uh, recorded in the 80s in which Mark Hamill explained that George Lucas took him aside and said that maybe sometime in the future he would do a a movie in which he and, and Carrie Fisher and... I can't remember if uh, Harrison Ford was part of it, but he wanted to have Luke be the next Obi-Wan Kenobi, in a sense, to usher in a new era of Jedis and be that that mentor. But he told him, oh, it probably wouldn't happen until, like, 2011, way into the future. And it's somewhere on YouTube. It's very funny checking out. So we see that George Lucas, maybe, maybe not after the reception that the prequels got, but following Episode Six, he had... Maybe some ideas kicking around, and and actually he did have some ideas kicking around, because in October 2012, when Disney acquired Lucasfilms, they did acquire the film treatments for these sequels. In fact, the first screenplay that was based on George Lucas's notes was written by Michael Arndt. He's a guy that actually won the Academy Award for the screenplay for Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, really? Yeah. It's quite a film. Yeah, and it, you wouldn't think it would equate, but, you know, talent is talent. And if I could go off on a rant here about this whole story thing. Sure. I don't know, Scott, if you've ever read any of the Expanded Universe Star Wars books. I refuse to. You refuse to. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, let me give you a little, my understanding of the Expanded Universe. As you know, there are many books written after The Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah. Which pushed a storyline about... 30 or 40 years where they currently are into the future after Return of the Jedi, okay? The one unique thing, even compared to Star Trek movies and books that were written about Star Trek after the fact, is that the canon was so tightly controlled with Star Wars books and series after the fact that I think George Lucas even had a hand or hired somebody that was 
their job basically was to keep track of all these books that were written about the Star Wars universe and make sure he made this person made sure that everything flowed <laughs> into each different book or series and that the authors were actually vetted um, wow. to, to make sure and they, they communicated to make sure that canon was not broken in these stories that continued on after Return of the Jedi. So the guy that made young Anakin build C-3PO in a prequel was <laughs> took such strict control over the canon yep. in, in the expanded universe. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, I mean, anything that was authorized, I mean, I'm sure there's fan fiction and stuff out there. It's unauthorized, of course. But anything that was printed and authorized it's all, was all under the licensing of LucasArts, you know, Star Wars, until recently. You know, if you had a character that was mentioned in a story, you know, five years after Return of the Jedi, okay? If they kill that person off, you can't just resurrect them or say he never died in a future movie, or future book, excuse me. Yeah. It was all laid out in a story, and it's really, if you read... Go on wikipedia.com <laughs> or org, whatever it is. Yeah, you're right. Google Wikipedia and just read about this this ongoing story. It's amazing. There must be ten times as much information about the expanded universe than there is about the actual movies. That's amazing. If not more. There's all sorts of characters. They expand on characters like uh, Wedge Antilles, all of the you know, Rebel Alliance Oh Big yeah, I mean, growing up, all all I heard from from my friends was, oh yeah, you know, uh, Han Solo and Princess Leia have a daughter, and Luke has a as children, and this happens, and this happens. And there's characters like Mara Jade. I don't know if you ever heard of her before. Yes, that's and Luke's wife, right? Luke's wife, and yeah. was actually an assassin that was trained by Emperor Palpatine. You didn't see until the books. That's actually made other appearances in other mediums like video games because they're. You know, canon characters now, comic yeah. books, that sort of thing. So with that being said, that took so much care to create this whole expanded universe. I am really shocked. And, you know, a lot of the expanded universe also came from, I think, George Lucas's notes, like you said. that He, he basically wrote what I heard, uh, 7, 8, and 9. Need some touching up, that sort of thing. He had the idea of what he was planning on doing before Disney came along and purchased, okay? Yeah, they were detailed outlines, for sure. Now, the thing that I want to go on a rant about and bothers me is that George Lucas has stated publicly that The Force Awakens, Episode 7, is not anything to do with any of the original premise he had for the stories. It's a yes. totally original story. So it's not – it just kind of kills the flow for me that he had this whole nine-part series lined up in 1975 when he wrote it, when there was Luke Starkiller, you know. Mm -hmm. Yep. And now, 30-plus years later, it's like two-thirds of it is done, and in the books, and now this, the last third, which was supposed to be there, is just cut out and exchanged by something else. That kind of bothers me. They at least, if they weren't going to use George Lucas's the basis, I mean, if you want to change the script around, fine. If you want to change characters around, but the basic idea, maybe this will pan out to be this way, should be what George Lucas had envisioned. Or it should have been based off the expanded universe, which everyone knows. Now, I've also heard that it has nothing to do with the expanded universe. Correct. So it's a brand new spanking thing that they're throwing out there that, I hate to say this, but to me, unless it's the most fantastic thing I've ever seen, it stinks of the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> no, no. 
Uh, I'm, I hate to say it. <laughs> no, nothing think, stinks that bad. I think the Star Wars, it sounds like the Star Wars Holiday Special has more canonicity than Star Wars Episode Seven at this point. Until you actually wow. see the movie. That's I'm just throwing that out there. It's my opinion, and I hope it doesn't turn out to be this way. I hope it's awesome, and I hope we don't care. Or I hope they do it in a way where it doesn't matter, but we'll see. Yeah. That's my rant. <laughs> To me, I never bothered reading the books. My friends were so so into them. I knew about the characters, uh, like you were saying, Mara Jade and all them, from my friends. I refused to read those books. I always used to tease them. They would mention about these stories, and I, I asked what movie they were in. And obviously, there's there's no movie. And I said, well, then it's not canon. I only, only what I see in the movies, that's the story in my mind. And that's how I like to keep it. So if they want to, in fact, I remember Revenge of the Sith, Episode 3, when... Certain details were were happening. I remember some friends of mine. Oh, that's not how it happened. And I said, "Well, now it now it is. Yeah, that's, it's yeah. in the movie. Now it is how it happened." Yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I would. I am saying I didn't read all the Star Trek, uh, Star Wars books. I have not read the expand universe in the whole. I've read some of the books. I know the story line though. I've read the summaries of the books and the story and the characters. Mm-hmm. There are some stupid parts of it. I, I will say. I mean, right after, and if you need a don't want to be spoiled about the expanded universe. You know, skip ahead a few minutes. I don't think anybody really cares at this point. No, I don't but think it matters. It doesn't. Yeah, of course, it doesn't matter. Some of the expanded universe was that there was this. You know, right after Return of the Jedi, there was this other race of aliens that came and invaded the galaxy far, far away that Star Wars takes place in. But there was some really good storylines, which I think one of them being, you know, that Han and Leia, of course, get married. They have three children that are Force-sensitive. Jaina, Jason, and Anakin. Not Anakin. Not another no, Anakin. No, Anakin Solo. <laughs> no. Um, who ends up dying somewhere in one of the books. No more kids named Anakin, please. And they had this really good storyline where, you know, basically Jason, there were twins, Jason and Jaina. Jason ends up taking the path his grandfather took and, and falls to the dark side. You know, becomes a Sith. <laughs> and is actually killed by his twin sister in a story, which I haven't read, but I read about. I mean, that stuff would be a good, I think, storyline to kind of incorporate into the the series. That's what I was hoping they would do. Again, we don't know much about this story, so it's hard to say how it's going to be. Story-wise, I, I don't like what I'm seeing so far. Um, and what I'm, what I'm hearing, which is, again, I might look at this in six months or seven months and say, I was totally wrong. This is fantastic. I don't know what I was talking about. <laughs> which is... You know, typically what I say to myself every six months, so it won't be any different. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, this is a whole galaxy, and it may only touch on the primary characters from the original trilogy. They may have a role, but we may be following this new cast, and maybe the stuff from the books you could think still happens, just not on camera, and it happens at another time. So we'll have to see. But like you were saying about the script writing, it was announced, like I said, Michael Arndt would be writing the script in October 2012. Well, about a year later, October 24th, 2013, it was announced that Michael Arndt would be leaving and that J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan will be taking over the script duties. Lawrence Kasdan also helped write the screenplays for Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, as well as Raiders of the Lost Ark. So if you're going to have another guy come in to write the script, I mean, this is the guy you're bringing in. Uh huh. That kind of is a ray of hope. Yeah. Now, in January 2014, it was announced that the script was finally complete. Yes. And, as a side note, a complete year after that, a few months after the time of this recording, January 2015, 
George Lucas confirmed that Disney discarded all of his story ideas. Yes. In April 2014, it was confirmed that Star Wars Episodes 7 through 9, so this whole new trilogy, would not contain Star Wars Expanded Universe storylines. So, like you said, they're gone. That doesn't mean they're not canon, I guess. They could still exist parallel to the storyline that we're going to be following with with these characters. That's yet to be seen. Yes. I will see what happens. You know, I, I just hope it's... He's going to have to hit a, a grand slam for me to, to really get into this, I think. I'm, I I'm on the other end after what I had just seen from the prequel trilogy. J.J. Abrams can have a, a base hit, and I'll be happy. You know, see, I... <laughs> you know, we have some differing opinions about the prequel trilogy, and I'm going to say it. I did not mind episode one. Well, this has been Hitting Play. Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I, I did, you know, it took a few watches or a few dozen watches to really get me to that point. Maybe I'm delirious from watching it. Aspects of it, which obviously I, I wasn't fond of. I didn't mind it. I think mostly because three reasons. Young Obi-Wan Kenobi, Kwai Kwan Jin, and Darth Maul. That's what did it for me for those. That was an awesome sequence they did. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. You know, episode two was kind of where it went downhill, or, yeah, went episode two. Where it went downhill for me a little bit, um, the whole love interest story and the bad acting by all the characters, but besides uh, Obi Wan Kenobi's character and of course Samuel Jackson. Episode three to me was was horrible, and I haven't wa- I've watched it once. I haven't watched it again. I I hate the way it was it was rushed through. Yeah, especially at the end. Especially at the end, you know that to me they should have put a lot of those plot elements starting in episode two more than they did. Because it, it felt totally, we got to cram all this stuff into this one movie, and it didn't make any sense to me that Anakin would turn that soon. It, it, yeah. I didn't get it. I didn't. Especially after you watch, you know what, the Clone Wars, the cartoon series, which takes place between two and three. Mm-hmm. And you could say that, like, you know, Mace Windu in episode three and episode two, they didn't trust Anakin, as you could tell. They didn't trust him at all. They thought basically he was a flash in the pan, rebel, I guess you could say. The cartoon, I think, had a totally separate, totally different way that he was portrayed, or their relationship was portrayed. There was a lot of different missions that Anakin went on. He seemed like a normal Jedi. He wasn't looked down upon by the Jedi Council in the cartoon series. So, yeah, that was a a total faux pas, the way they did it. Maybe he had pressure on him to do it that way. I don't know. He must have been kicking himself when he found out, like, ten years later, every movie franchise would be splitting up their third part into two movies. They should have been doing that. (laughs) It should have been a a part A and part B, and it should be three hours long each to get Uh, through all that. I don't know. In hindsight, could I sit through two (laughs) two versions of episode three or two parts of episode three? If it was good and it was a decent actor who played Anakin, yeah, I think that... I I should say, you know, we're, we're briefly just talking about the prequel trilogy. There is a... A series of movie reviews on YouTube uh, by a group called Red Letter Media. Uh, just as a warning, they're not family friendly. They try to do some like comedy things in between. But uh-huh. if you want to see a complete, not even criticism, but a complete evisceration of the prequel trilogy, yeah, plot hole by plot hole, detail by detail, it's it is amazing. It really is, and and they're trying to you know do a little bit of raunchy humor while they're doing it. But as far as their actual criticisms of the story, it is it is worth checking out. It is it is amazing, and much more than what we can say in ten minutes. I have one other minor rant before we get into this. I know I'm rant heavy today. Rant away. Okay. 
one thing before we get into the actual trailer is whatever happens with the sequels or the LucasArts franchise, the Star Wars franchise, I petition, and this is partly for my daughter too, that Princess Leia must, I say must, be considered a Disney princess after <laughs> after Episode Seven is released. I want her on that. There's a Disney Princesses website, shows Rapunzel and Elsa and Anna and all those. She must be represented there as a Disney princess because she is, she is a Disney princess at that point. Technically, well, she she was acquired. You know, that's that's the, that's the only thing. She's a Disney princess. All right. Well, whatever. For for the sake of your daughter, I will say yes. I agree. If they have these Disney tea party sing along things, they show all the princesses from now on that they make. I want Princess Leia involved. Doesn't bother me either way. Thank so you. yeah. Stupid rant, but good rant. Well, it's on behalf of your daughter, so yes, that's fine. Exactly. So just going back. On April 29th, 2014, the cast was officially announced via StarWars.com. They've been very good with updating that website and uh, talking about it. And J.J. Abrams has had a lot of fun with the things that he's released about it. Very little clever ways and... I will you know, give really, him that. Really having fun with the whole process. Yeah, he does. He did do a good thing. You know, a lot of good tweets showing different little nitpicking or little spoilers, I guess you can say in the tweets with pictures and that sort of thing. So I, I will give him credit for that. And on the website, they released a black and white photo of the cast at a script reading. And we get this press release. I, I might as well just read it verbatim. It says actors, John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, Oscar Isaac, Andy Serkis, Domhnall Gleeson, and Max von Sydow will join the original stars of the saga, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Anthony Daniels, Peter Mayhew, and Kenny Baker in the new film. Director J.J. Abrams says, We are so excited to finally share the cast of Star Wars Episode Seven. It is both thrilling and surreal to watch the beloved original cast and these brilliant new performers come together to bring this world to life once again. We start shooting in a couple of weeks, and everyone is doing their best to make the fans proud. Star Wars Episode Seven is being directed by J.J. Abrams from a screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan and Abrams. Kathleen Kennedy, J.J. Abrams, and Brian Burke are producing, and John Williams returns as the composer. The movie opens worldwide on December 18th, 2015. Yeah. So that was huge. Huge and good timing because I'm not being morbid or trying to be morbid, but, you know, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, they're, they're getting up there. I mean, what are the chances that all six of these primary, and I even would say passed away, but are going to be able to act at that point? Or want to act, or yeah. Or want to act at that point. So this is the prime time to do this. I think any sooner than 2015 would have been too early after the prequels. And you can't really go much past this. I'm just saying, putting it out there. I disagree. I think they'll be able to do another trilogy after this current trilogy. Now, just a, a side note about John Williams being mentioned. Mm. Th this will actually be the first J.J. Abrams movie not to be scored by Michael Giacchino. Rather, it will be a John Williams score, and it was reported that Michael Giacchino said he would rather hear a John Williams score for the new Star Wars film than his own. And I have to agree with him. John Williams is, is Star Wars music. And whether Michael Giacchino is being a very good sport in this situation, or he actually means it, yeah, it's, it's got to be John Williams. It has I, to be. I think he means it. I mean, I think he, he knows that he could not, although he is awesome also, he could not fill the shoes that John Williams will fill in, in doing the scores for this. Yeah, another thing, you don't want to follow a legend. Exactly. So we're going to discuss now the trailer that was released on November 28th, 2014. 
and it was shown in, in theaters as well as posted to YouTube at the same time. So what we're going to do now is take a short break, we'll pay some bills, and when we come back, we will discuss the actual trailer for Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Mom, Dad, I'm home from school. Billy, come see me in my study. Yeah? Now I got a call from your teacher today. Uh-oh. She said instead of putting answers down on your math test, you just drew pictures of heinies. It just doesn't make sense, and I'm never going to use it. Does your child struggle with math? We at Mortified Mathematics can help. By simply placing one of our trained mortifying mathematicians under your child's bed or futon, your child will spend every night giving math the attention it deserves. Uh, uh, who are you? I am the monster that lives under your bed. Please don't hurt me. I'll leave you alone if you tell me how to add two fractions with different denominators. Let's see how Billy did last night. Well, good morning, sleepyhead. Did you have a good night's rest? Uh, 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 denominators! You, you find the uh, common, common denominators and then, then you add the numerators. <laughs> Looks like somebody <laughs> had to use math. Thank you, Mortified Mathematics. You're welcome. Mortified Mathematics. Teaching your kids math one scream at a time. And we're back. So we watched this trailer, and basically, if you diagram it, there's about eight different sections to it. A few scenes and, of course, the title card at the end. So we begin with a fading in from black to a desert-like landscape. Now, I'm going to make the assumption this is Tatooine. It, it pretty much has to be, right? Yeah, I mean, at this point, yeah, I mean, there's no other planet that we've seen yet that has a desert that is basically the entire planet, that which this looks like. Could be Vulcan? No. Could be Vulcan, yeah. <laughs> which would be quite a leap in J. Oh, J.J. Abram, who knows? I know, I know. And I love the fact in this early scene how it just jumps into it, and they, you get that John Williams effect right there. Yes. That, and it actually made me jump the first time I heard it. I up so loud in my Apple TV. But <laughs> yeah, it just kind of jumps right into it. Yes, John Boyega playing the part of Finn. He's dressed in a, a Stormtrooper uniform, and he pops up right into the middle of the frame. And he's frightened, he's sweating, he's breathing heavy, and he, he walks forward into the deserted landscape. Some initial impressions, too. He is obviously wearing a Stormtrooper uniform. Yes. And it looks like very similar to the Stormtrooper uniforms. And we have actually, you know, three variations, more than that probably, but three major variations. You have the Clone Wars, Clone Stormtrooper uniform. You have, of course, the variation of the Stormtrooper uniform from the original series. Mm -hmm. And this looks a little bit different. It looks more refined. There are some definite, definite differences we see in this uniform, so it's the future. Yeah, and we should note that this film is going to take place 30 years after Return of the Jedi, 54 years after Revenge of the Sith, and 67 years after The Phantom Menace. So I guess, unfortunately, there's a remote chance Jar Jar Binks is an elderly Gungan. But <sighs> no. But we have seen, like you said, the variations in the Stormtrooper uniforms over the years, so 30 years later, sure, definitely there would be some, some changes. And it tells us another thing, too, about this new movie and this new universe, the story, is that the Empire must exist in some form. We assumed in kind of a carryover to the expanded universe stories 
that after the Return of the Jedi, the Empire just didn't go away, if you haven't read these stories. It was still a force to be reckoned with for a while. Again, this is in the Expanded Universe stories. And even after, you know, Coruscant was taken back by the New Republic and was there was a New Republic after a while, mm-hmm. there was still a fringe element of the Empire that, you know, didn't conform and was still out there and, and controlled parts of space. And that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that, I, I mean, that. You would, just because the Death Star 2 explodes doesn't mean that everything collapses right away, contrary to what we see in the ending credits of the revised Return of the Jedi, where Coruscant is just basically they're killing stormtroopers and knocking down statues and that sort of thing. It wasn't like the end of uh, Phantom Menace where they blow up the droid control unit and all the all the droids just fall no, to the ground? No, unfortunately, that didn't... Yeah, there's still... <laughs> the entire Imperial fleet wasn't around uh, Endor, and a good part of it was, but it wasn't the entire thing. And You know, just like any fall of a government, there's going to be power struggles and controlled struggles, and, you know, someone a moth out there or whatnot would want to keep things going sure. with the Empire and, and take that role for themselves. So, obviously, unless the New Republic or whatever government is ruling in Episode 7 has adopted the Stormtrooper uniform, which you don't probably think is likely no. in that variation, the Empire still exists in some form. Now, I think something also should be should be said about the fact that immediately, the very first character we see is African-American. Uh, this is John Boyega. He was a, a British, he's a British actor. He was on the most recent season of 24. He was also in Edgar Wright's movie, Attack the Block. Mm-hmm. And right away, J.J. Abrams is showing us that this is not like George Lucas's original trilogy. George Lucas had been heavily criticized for his treatment of minorities and stereotypes. You know, Phantom Menace had some really cringeworthy aliens that you'd yeah. hate to say that George Lucas is trying to be racist, but really building off some terrible stereotypes uh, and some pretty offensive voices. And Lando Calrissian is pretty much the the only African-American in the cast. Yes. I like the fact that right away, J.J. Abrams is, is showing us that this is a very diverse cast, as it should be. Yeah, and you know we saw some some changes in the prequel series with, of course, Samuel Jackson, like we said, being a prominent figure who's great. Who's great, but I don't recall any other African American actors besides the only ones I could think of, unless they were really in the backgrounds, were Billy D. Williams as Lionel Calrissian, Samuel yeah. Jackson as Mace Windu, and that was about it. Captain Panaka on the from the Naboo. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay, I forget Captain <laughs> Panaka. Which um, I still have my Captain Panaka action figure, sad to say. He was quite a guy. No, he was good. I'll be making an appearance in the uh, sequels. You know, all the, and Phantom Menace had some pretty good characters, but they're all in the background. Exactly, yeah. Terrible. So uh, it is a, a move in the right direction. Um, For sure. To see a, an Afri- a person of color, <laughs> I guess you can say, that's not blue. Yeah in the sequel in here. Now, I heard some speculation. I remember when this trailer first came out, people were saying, well, is this a a Jedi disguised as a stormtrooper? Is he a spy? You know, he's obviously frightened, so he's under attack or he's being found out. Something is happening. Some some were wondering if he's a defector from the ranks of the stormtroopers. Mm -hmm. I believe... They're no longer clones at this point, so anybody, you know, they don't have to look like the actor Tamora Morrison anymore. Yeah. But I have read that Finn is a Jedi character. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I've, I've haven't seen that directly, and I guess it could be. I mean, he is scared, which I guess Jedi's can be scared, so that's not really a basis of saying he's a Jedi or not. But the first impression I got 
and this is just my gut, was that he was portraying a stormtrooper, but not a stormtrooper. Like a spy or somebody who was infiltrating the stormtrooper course for some reason. Harkening back to the scene where Han Solo and Luke Skywalker were also wearing the stormtrooper uniforms, minus the helmets. Yes, a little short for a stormtrooper, aren't you? We also here get a voiceover. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? Which is a pretty cool thing. I did, did like that part of it. You know, that things are changing and um, maybe the balance that supposedly came to the Force, if you, whatever uh, version you believe was the balance of the Force and the Chosen One and all that, has now been disrupted or something is, is happening. So we immediately cut to black. Our next scene is a droid rolling across a fenced-in area, and it seems to be some starship engines, almost like the pod racer engines, please, in the background. If you look carefully, there are pod racers in the background. Okay. So that is, yeah, legit. <laughs> this droid is named BB-8. And it's obviously an R2-style droid with the same head turn as a R2 unit. Very different, obviously. Taking yeah. a, a good use of CGI effects here. Well, now, I had read that there are a lot of practical effects. Now, I, I can't believe that this is all practical, but that's what I read, that this is a remote control unit. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's, I, that's pretty amazing. I, I believe there, there's got to be elements of both in there. Yeah. I, I don't see... My first thought when I saw this was I don't see the practicality of having the droid be like this unless he, you know, changes into a different form. Yeah, I don't um, know. I mean, he's obviously not an astromech if he's... in. Unless they really change starship design. Yeah, it's I mean, got the head shape, like you said. Yeah, but not the rest of it. I mean, obviously, no. that was what R2-D2 was. If you look at, again, Wikipedia, it has a whole section about all the R R2 units or R units and astromech droids, and they're made to navigate a, a starship or a, a fighter. That's their main purpose, really. So wh wh maybe this is just a special feature this one has. Again, harkening back to the Expand Universe... I know that they did kind of give in the future of after Return of the Jedi, there was other droid models that came out in the same you know factory or same company as R two D two that you know had other features like levitation, an, you know anti gravity type stuff instead of wheels and that sort of thing. So yeah. again, showing it's a futuristic droid. Again, we cut to black and. Our next scene, we see stormtroopers preparing for battle. The light kind of flickers. It's very dark. It's like a dark blue light. And we see stormtroopers all lined up. Their uniform, like you said, a little different than what we're used to, but very recognizable as stormtroopers. Helmets very, very similar to what we saw before. Yeah. Rifles very similar. We, the two seconds we see of it, less than that, we see of the flash of them. Yeah, I, I, I don't... I think it was wise for them to really make sure that they look similar to the stormtroopers we're used to from Jedi and, well, from the original trilogy. Yeah. The hatch of the ship opens up, and it seems as though they're ready to be deployed somewhere. Yes, they're coming down the ramp. That's all we see. Again, we cut to black, and we now jump to the character Rey, played by Daisy Ridley. She has a very small resume. Really hasn't done much acting before the year 2013. She was in uh, a lot of UK TV shows. She's a, Brit a British actress. She was in Silent Witness, which is a popular series. A little bit of uh, Mr. Selfridge, Jeremy Piven's mm. masterpiece theater show. So I, you know, take for that what you will. But again, doing what Lucas did best at picking these relatively unknown actors 
and putting them in these roles. And hopefully it works out, not like a uh, Hayden Christensen situation. Yeah, yes. But I, I think it would be hard to uh, screw <laughs> to get that up again. That, yeah. Well, you know, and this actress was, this character was at first thought to be maybe Han and Leia's daughter, Jaina, mm-hmm. in that role. I think it has been confirmed that she is actually not, has anything to do with Han or Leia and is just a, another new character. Oh, okay. I don't know if that's been 100% confirmed, but that's what I read. Yeah, they just give her the name Ray, R-E-Y. No, no surname or anything. Although they do the same thing with Finn at the beginning, F-I-N-N. Yeah. No surname. So maybe trying to not give away too much about these characters. Yes. Who knows? But anyway, she she also is in a hurry, and she speeds away in a pudding pop shaped speeder. Yes. Exactly. Pudding pop. <laughs> she's kind of like looking over her shoulder. Uh, she's possibly fleeing some sort of threat. And she kind of speeds off in what looks to be a Tatooine landscape. So we, we might get a lot of Tatooine in this episode. Yes. Again, we cut to black. Our next scene is the character of Poe Dameron. This is uh, the actor Oscar Isaac, who's uh, been in a lot of critically acclaimed films lately. Inside Lewin Davis he was in. He was in Drive, A Most Violent Year. And coming up... In the year 2016, he is uh, supposed to play Apocalypse in the new X-Men movie, X-Men Apocalypse. So this is this is an actor I'm really rooting for this, yeah. uh, these next couple He's, of years. He is a busy couple of years coming up. Um, we get that brief shot of him in the cockpit of an X-Wing. Yes. Or the, you know, whatever an X-Wing is called in this film. And we get some more clues here about his origin. He is wearing the symbol on his vest and also on his helmet, which is a, you know, futuristic, modified-looking helmet of the Rebel Alliance. Yes. So again, now we have another clue that the Rebellion or the Republic exists in some form. I don't know if you know this, Scott, but in the cockpit also on his his left, our right, is looks like the targeting computer um, oh, yeah, from yeah, yeah. Uh, New Hope that slides in front of Luke's face and he turns it off before he fires that torpedo into the uh, Death Star. So it looks like that technology has stayed with the X-Wing. Very cool. Yeah, you know, and, and I like that. I don't like the idea that... The technology is going to change by leaps and bounds over the decades. I like that some things are remaining relatively the same. We would imagine the technology, of course, would get better in 30 years, as it has for us. Yeah. But I like, and people have said this too, this isn't, you know, my notion, but I like the idea that it's, everything's getting back to grimy, gritty. The the spaceships look dirty, as they should. It's not that, that slick, CGI, clean look that all of the prequels seem to have. Yes. It's a it's a better look, and it's a darker light that's used. We're they're off colors, and we're not being hit with all these bright colors. Yeah, and we see, you know, like you said about the ships, you know, they're they're scarred up. They have obviously been through some action. They haven't had been painted every every day. They're they're combat vessels, you know, ships, and used in space travel. And we get a, a really cool scene here where there's a, a fleet of them, or we see at least three, and they're not flying through space. They're actually kind of skimming a body of water on a mountainous, cloudy planet. This is probably one of my favorite scenes in the trailer, if not my favorite. Um, we get a view of the new X-Wings, and, you know, again, it's, it looks like the X-Wing we know and love, but refined. Sleeker, yeah. obviously been refined over 30 years' time. If I remember correctly, the X-Wing was actually designed for the Rebels around the time before the, the New Hope. We did see a uh, you know a predecessor to the X-wing in episode three. 
mm-hmm. like a Jedi Starfighter, and there was, you know, an X-Wing type ship yeah. that was an early version of it. But I think it, it more came out as a ship. I think it's a whole story, actually, about either the Y-Wing or the X-Wing being designed particularly for the Rebels. And now we have, you know, another variation of the X-Wing. T- T-65? I think that's the actual model number of the X-Wing. You can really geek out and look at all the specs, who made, yeah. who, who manufactured it. There's always companies that manufacture, like, the TIE Bombers and, you know, TIE Fighters. And I believe that the X-Wing is a T-65, but I could be wrong. And the X-Wing is, like, the, you know, nickname of it. Well, email us if you if Sean please. is wrong, I, I, please. And please, I probably am. So, but you know, it's like it's like cars. You know, a Honda Civic is going to look different twenty years ago than it is now. But you're going to realize, oh no, that's not a pickup truck. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, and it's, oh, it's a definitely. And the Civics do look pretty much the same. You still have the Honda en- emblem. You know who it's made by. And again, you can't call it realism, but really, as much realism as you could possibly have in in this universe, and that's very much appreciated. And I, I will say, I just looked up Wikipedia on <laughs> my iPad here. <laughs> it is the T-65 X-Wing Starfighter. Okay. Made by Incom is the name Del- of the company that made the... Uh... Delete those drafts, anybody. Yeah, exactly, yep. I was okay. correct. I was right on this one. <laughs> T-65. So again, we cut to black, and we cut to a scene where a character in a, a dark cloak is walking through a dark, cold forest. It seems to be snowy, and he ignites his... Very unique lightsaber. And th- this is the character of Kylo Ren. That's all we know about him. Yeah, Kylo Ren. Very, very pretty scene. Yeah, shot beautifully, all these scenes. Yeah. But uh, again, people have been poking a lot of fun. There's a lot of parodies of this trailer. The sword actually has two smaller lightsabers, I guess you could say, that come off perpendicular to the actual sword part, as, you know, off the handle. Very, very strange. This is something we, we've never seen before. Yeah, I guess they're trying to go, kind of looks broadsword-ish. I, I think that's what they're trying to, the feel they're trying to get from this lightsaber. Again, a little bit of an issue with this lightsaber. First of all, I have an issue with the little points that come off, because what's the practical use of that? I mean, really? I, I'd probably ignite it with my hand over them, and yeah. that'd be the end of that. You're going to end up cutting something off that you want to keep. <laughs> I just don't, I think it looks cool, but I don't see why it's practical at all. I don't think it is. It'll be the key, the whole key to the movie somehow. <laughs> yeah, it's like the whole thing, and you know. <laughs> I, you know, I guess the thing that bothers me about most about this scene, I, I think it's really cool. Again, I think it's really pretty how he's out in the woods and he just ignites his lightsaber in this snowy type environment that we probably haven't seen before. The thing that bothers me is the lightsaber effect. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little it's different. different. It's, you know, we, of course, you think of the different levels of lightsaber effects again. If you go back to the original series, you know, New Hope especially, the lightsaber effects are horrible. I mean, the colors are all off. They didn't have the technology to do it. Even the remastered editions is horrible. Yeah, they're, um, even, they're even flat. They almost look flat. Yeah, they, they couldn't fix it well and just come out. They did better with Empire and especially Return of the Jedi we see a, a pretty solid-looking blade that's emanating light from it. And I think they did one thing you could say about the prequels is they did a good job with the lightsabers and the effects. Blades, again, were very bright, but very straight and, and solid-looking. Yeah, clean, uh, as clean. light should be. This one, it looks choppy. It looks like it's flickering all over the place, like it has a rough edge. Maybe that's part of the, what the lightsaber's gonna look like i mean this guy's particular lightsaber 
Maybe yeah. that's just a feature. I think if they changed around all the lightsabers and, you know, Luke or whoever else has a lightsaber looks like this now, I'm going to have an issue with that. Now, the only thing I will say in defense of the trailer is that this is a snowy scene. And so we, when he ignites his blade, you would imagine that there is snowflakes falling at a steady pace onto it. Yeah, maybe. And it's I mean, vaporizing those ice crystals. Time and that's tell. why we get that that kind of like solar flare effect. Who knows? You know, we'll 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 have to see. Maybe it's just because he's a Sith and it he has a different blade. Again, that's another thing that has a lot of canon details behind it: lightsabers and how they're constructed, and blades and crystals. There's you know cartoon episodes about it dedicated to the lightsaber construction. So it's something you really don't want to mess around with, in my opinion. Other story details, yes, but keep the lightsabers looking pretty much like they should because people will get on top of them unless it's some special lightsaber crystal or design or something. And We'll have to see. Again, we don't yeah. know yet. Now, this character of Kylo Ren, we don't know if he's the primary antagonist. There is speculation that this might be Adam Driver's character. He's the, the actor of, of formerly, I don't know if he still is, but uh, from the show Girls. And I've heard also speculation early that, oh, could this be Luke Skywalker? Could there be a storyline where he kind of turns to the dark side and has to be brought back? Which there is an expand universe. Yeah, so there, you know, there's, I guess you'd call it precedent set for a storyline like that. But mm -hmm. again, we'll have to see they're deliberately being mysterious. We are not going to see this character's face. Yes. And we get the voiceover. The dark side. Very good. Again, we cut to black. When we return, we get the flourish of orchestra music as we see the Millennium Falcon majestically maneuvering through the air over the dunes of, again, I'm presuming Tatooine. Very cool, again. Very, I think they did a great job with this scene. Beautiful. Millennium Falcon hasn't, I don't think it's ever looked this good. Looks awesome, again, beat up, not smooth. It's the Millennium Falcon. It's, you know, Han's baby. It's, it's a hunk of junk. It's a hunk of junk. It's Krillian yep. YT-1300. Um, <laughs> that's that. I know the model number for that one. Yes. Do you notice anything different about the Millennium Falcon, Scott, as it goes through? When I first saw this trailer, I did not notice anything different. But after hearing about it, I see it now. Why don't you the, explain? Uh, it's kind of a maybe a uh, homage to Return of the Jedi when Lando knocked off the satellite dish that was on the top of uh, the Millennium Falcon in the Death Star run. The Millennium Falcon has a new satellite dish deflector. Um, Which is so great. And again, yeah. they're trying to be consistent, and they're showing the fans, we hear you, we're paying full attention to the details, and continuity is one of our chief concerns. And that's uh, that's refreshing to hear. The other one was round, if you remember. This one is obviously rectangular. Yeah. They must have gone to DirecTV or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, an another kind of semi-illegal upgrade by Han. <laughs> I don't know. And so we see the, the Millennium Falcon kind of flip in the air, and as it goes across the dunes, it confronts two TIE Fighters head-on. Again, thrown out there that, you know, TIE Fighters are... Empire is still out there. Yep. And obviously, they're firing at the Millennium Falcons. There must be some kind of issue. Um, <laughs> Kerfuffle. <laughs> I, I have a, a shot here of the TIE Fighters. Nothing to really see that's too different with them. 
No. Um, they look like TIE fighters. So, and, so again, the, the the Rebel Alliance, or I guess you call the Republic now, sure, they would be able to upgrade their, their weapons and technology, while the Empire probably still has all the, the stock of the old ships and weapons and uniforms and... Yep. Even if they were producing them, I mean, TIE fighters are pretty much a... Uh, a they're a good ship for what, you know, they were for. Basically, I think they were considered death traps. They didn't have much to them. No shields or anything, as far as I remember. And you, you hit one, and it's pretty much gone. So, I mean, there's probably not too much you can improve on there. It's what it is. It's an engine strapped to wings and a cannon, so... And we never really saw the all these ships. I mean, we've seen the Millennium Falcon take off, obviously. But we've never seen these ships fly over land before. This is something new. And I, I think the great thing about this scene is that it's something that could not have been done or or well in 1983. This is a 2015 scene. It's awesome. And there was nothing really like this comparably even in the prequels. I mean, I guess you can kind of say that there were some some starfighting scenes with, you know, uh, episode 2 and epi- and with the Jedi starfighters and Episode, oh, episode three too. I mean, it's yeah, so busy. That's so the problem. So busy, and there's stuff all over the place, and it's obviously a space battle, and it's not like this where it's like you said, over land. It, it's you know, and it's it's doing realistic gravity dives and things like that that you would see in that kind of environment. So very cool, and again, timing wise, perfect because you're at a point where you can do this kind of scene, and it's not gonna you know either take twenty years to to render the thing or the technology is at the point where you can do it pretty reasonably cheaply yeah. um, compared to what it would have been t- even 10, 20 years ago. And they've, they've been public JJ Abrams and, and I believe it's bad robot doing production. They've been in very open about the fact that they're going to use as many practical effects as possible. JJ Abrams even described it as a gravity that's starting to pull the film industry back towards the practical effects yeah. And, and, and away from the green screen, I mean, you see the behind the scenes of George Lucas on the uh, the prequel trilogy, and he's just sitting in a chair, He's he's got five monitors around him, very inactive when it comes to directing, he's not out there, he's not, you know, he's just sitting there behind these wall of monitors, beyond that is this huge green screen, and, you know, poor Ewan McGregor talking to a tennis ball on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really, I mean, and he's a great actor, and I think he did a great job in those films. But it, yeah. it's got to be so hard to emote and have dialogue and conversation and make it look convincing with, with a tennis ball on a stick. And sometimes it is, especially with the Jar Jar scenes. I'm sorry, episode one, it looks unrealistic. <laughs> and if you look at, yeah, definitely the um, behind the scenes on the DVD of um, episode two and episode one, the green screen effects are, are really evident. The whole thing was a green screen. Even like the, the ledges, they would jump on things. Yeah. I, I'm thinking for some reason of that factory scene in episode two. Yeah, they released a lot of behind the scenes. I, was, I think those were special features too. They were so impressed with themselves for creating this this green screen set. Yeah, it's in, you, you know, you compare that to the guys who controlled Jabba the Hutt in uh, Return of the Jedi. And it took, like, you know, 15 guys to control this thing. It's animatronic. I'm being, yeah. you know, of course, that's an exaggeration. But Dad had to make it, and it was hot, and it was, you know, it was difficult to control. And it it was really a, an art form, whereas the prequels, too much CGI, too much green screen. But now it's nice balance, it seems like. And, of course, we get the voiceover. 
and the light. Yes. So, just as the Millennium Falcon is about to confront the TIE Fighters, we cut immediately to the very familiar Star Wars logo, the yellow-edged black lettering on the field of stars, and in between the words Star and Wars, we have the subtitle, The Force Awakens. Which I don't mind. I don't know what you think of it. I don't mind it as a title. I think it's pretty good. No, and again, going back to the voiceover where the narrator asks, there's been an awakening, have you felt it? So we, this is all going to be tied through the storyline. This is going to be cohesive. It's not just a, oh, Revenge of the Sith, you know, Return of the Jedi, that yeah. kind of thing. Where everyone knows the story, I'm sure, by now, that it was going to be Revenge of the Jedi. Yes. And then he had to change it because, you know, that didn't make sense. This is this is well thought out. This This is going to be tied, as you said, to the balance of light and dark and... What side of the Force Awakens, we'll find out exactly the details of that. Yes. And after we get the title, we get the information, as we know, December 2015. December 18th, 2015, we know now. So very, very cool. Do we want exciting. to talk? Yeah, very exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Um, do you have any thoughts on any, have you heard any rumors, Scott, that you want to bring out about the plot or anything? Or are we just going to leave it to imaginations? To be honest with you, I haven't looked at any rumors. I don't want to read any rumors. Okay. Well, I won't yeah. mention anything then. Yeah, I, I think it would be best not to yeah. even speculate in case some of it is true. I, I could say if you have any ideas yourself of what you think we're you know, going to see here. I, I don't. I, I Well, the only thing I could see, is I, as I mentioned before, is obviously there's some kind of conflict either between two sides. Either the Empire is still around some form or they come back. And I think the New Republic will be around. I I remain very, very hopeful. And like I said, there isn't much that could disappoint me at this point. J.J. Yeah. Abrams and his crew are in, in such a great position. The only thing, I mean, and again, I didn't read any rumors, any speculation. The only thing that I'm guessing is going to happen is that we're going to see the original cast brought in, the new part of the cast brought in, and this movie's going to serve as the passing of the torch, so to speak. And then we're going to follow our new characters for the remainder of the trilogy. And, you know, maybe have the original cast. I, I hope those characters don't die. I hope we don't have a, a Luke Skywalker death scene or anything like anything crazy like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to remind us of the movies that we loved, endear us to the new characters that they hope we fall in love with, and follow their journey as the storyline continues. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, maybe they'll go into a secondary role... Han, Leia, Luke, and you just gotta, like, if that torch is gonna be passed, you gotta pass it to somebody who's gonna be able to run with it. So hopefully they, they do that, and these characters, again, take off. Now, Scott, one more question for you. Yes. Is, is there any characters that you would like to see that were minor characters in either the prequel series or the original series that you would like to see carried over to the sequels? When yes. I say minor characters, I mean, like, minor, minor characters... I would love for the first scene in which the characters of Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia are revealed to us. I hope we have a scene in which we see the characters and off to the side, a very elderly Max Rebo <laughs> plays a, a gentle tune, some ambient music to really set the mood. And there is a probably elderly Sice Noodles <laughs> singing maybe a... A gentler version of Lapty Neck and maybe Droopy McCool. The whole band. I, I'd like to see the whole band. Maybe after everything went down, after Jedi, they're still on Tatooine. They're trying to get 
their the old band back together. Maybe it's a reunion tour. I, I'd love to see that. So you're you're under the impression that they survived the explosion of the sail barge. I, don't I know. would hope that they would be shielded in some way. Well, yeah. Max Rebo, especially, he's the real talent there, obviously. But his whole—I mean, he could really duck down into that piano. I, I believe he did that at, at one point to to shield himself. So I I, I see no reason why he couldn't have done that. Uh, maybe. Yeah, how, how high off the ground were they, really? Come on. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, was, here's hoping. I was hoping they survived the explosion. And <laughs> how about you, Sean? What what characters would you like to see? Um. Well, you know, there are some minor ones. I, I would like to see. Um, believe it or not, I'd like to see some Ewoks. Um, somewhere <laughs> in the new the sequels, I'd like to see just because he's he's mentioned in a lot of the the prequels, uh, Sebulba. I think it would be a funny, um, well, even if it's like a two-second thing. Yeah I, yeah, I was thinking about that, too. I wouldn't mind a Phantom Menace character in the background as a nod to the fans just being like, remember these jerks? Yeah, they're yeah. still around. You or know, Jar Jar, ha, ha, ha. even. I mean, Jar Jar somewhere, you know, even if he's locked up for what he did. Or his tombstone or his something. His tombstone or, or something, yeah. <laughs> that would be perfectly fine. Who else would I like to see? I think they should they should really mention the holiday special and bring in um, Chewbacca's family. Yeah, or a mention of Life Day. Oh, Life Day or something. Oh. They gotta do something like that. How how I mean, bad would Lucas feel if yeah, this this off. horrible special that he's tried to bury for so many years gets referenced and effectively brought into canon in this new? Oh, that would be hilarious. That would bring into canon. Yeah, I remember that oh, time, Chewie, that we went and celebrated Life Day, and you know we brought you in and. Uh, we we able to get you past the Imperial blockade. <laughs> a framed that, picture of Art Carney on the wall somewhere. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> B. Arthur at the cantina. I would say a nice little reference to the guy who got his arm cut off in the cantina. Panda Baba. Panda Baba. Yeah, I'm sorry. And Dr. Uh, <laughs> Everzon. Everzon, yeah, should be there somewhere. And, I mean, as a serious one, uh, Baba Fett, I think, so should appear somewhere be a character because everyone knows he did escape the sarlacc and well we don't know that that was i know it i know it if you watch the excellent (laughs) episode of parks and recreation where what's that act who's that comedian i'm thinking of scott who's filibustering oh Patton oswald Patton oswald yes oh yeah if you if you haven't seen that video of Patton oswald as the character filibustering on Parks and Rec. It's probably a 12-minute scene. Uh, definitely find that on YouTube, yeah. He he basically has to filibuster, and he, he does this by basically going scene by scene of what his perfect Episode 7 would be. And it starts off, not to give too much away, this is Patton Oswalt's character giving his, his thoughts, of a, a gauntlet hands reaching up and escaping the Sarlacc, and it's Boba Fett. <laughs> so... Here's hoping that they, they take that and it comes true. Yeah, I believe it's in one of the books my friend had always told me. Oh, yeah, Boba Fett survives. Uh, he's very badly burnt by the digestive acids, and uh, Dengar saves him, and they become friends, and one's the best man at the other's wedding or something Dengar. like that. It's like, you got to give me a break. Come on. IG-88 should be there, too. It's a, you know, ring bearer. What was, a, what was another storyline? Forlom becomes a Jedi. He can see the Force in terms of binary code. It's oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Please. Break. I, it'd now, be, it would be kind of cool to have a character from the prequel that maybe was a Padawan at the time of the the Purge that escaped and is now an elderly Jedi. That would be kind of cool. I don't know who, would, who you would do. Yeah. Or, so, you know, there are rumors that some of the Jedi who are thought to have been killed during the Purge actually survived or were in hiding. So that would be kind of cool if we saw that. Yeah, definitely. 
Now, I, I should say, when you were talking about Ewoks, Warwick Davis has been confirmed as a member of this cast. All right. That doesn't mean he's necessarily going to play wicked. an Ewok. He's yeah. Wicked. Yes, I should say he was Wicked the Ewok, but he will be he will be in the in the movie as well as uh, Lupita Nyong'o, who is a very uh, well regarded up and coming young actress. Uh, Gwendolyn Christie, Crystal Clark, Pip Anderson, Christina Chong, Miltos Yerolimo, Greg Grunberg, who was on the show Heroes that I liked, Billy Lord, Maisie Richardson Sellers, Aiko Uwes, apologies to Aiko if I say that wrong, Yeyan Ruihan, Sisip Arif Rahman, Amy Beth Hargreaves, Leanne Best, and Jessica Henwick. And those roles have not been specified as of yet. And I don't know if you heard this one, but Jon Stewart is also going to be in Star Wars Episode Seven as a Jedi. Really? No, I'm making that up. Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> I'm totally making that up, but you know, yeah. throw that there. <laughs> uh, one more thing I heard, probably the last thing I can recall, is that the droids, especially the R2 units, were actually used in the film, were actually produced by a fan company, I guess you can say, or fans that, you know, like the... Um, 500 First Legion type folks who do a lot of cosplay with Star Trek. Or yeah, the act- Star Wars. very active in the Comic-Con scene. Yes, and they have their yeah. own groups and things. It was actually a fans-created R2 units. They reproduce R2 units. They're so into it, and they actually use those in the filming of the movie. I heard that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they kind of went to them and said, hey, we do such a good job with these. Can we have some for the movie? And instead of making their own, they got this, I don't know the name of the uh, group, but I'm sure you could look it up. Wow, what a what an honor! You yeah. know, J.J. Abrams definitely taking a different approach uh, with the fans than George Lucas. George Lucas has no doubt heard thousands and millions of calls for the original cuts of the movies to be released. You know, this is what yeah. the fans want, and again, nope, won't do it. Well, it's it's different time too with social media, where J.J. Abrams can really you know kind of communicate with people every day if he wanted to, and probably does on his Twitter page and everything. Yeah. Whereas in 83, I mean, that wasn't really, you saw him in an interview, George Lucas or whatever, and that was it. But now it's it's a different world, so. Certainly. Well, I think that's going to just about do it for this episode of Hitting Play. Just uh, some show notes before we finish. So what I will put out to any listeners to this is email us with what you speculate may happen. what Or what you would like to see, or even perhaps like Sean said, are there any obscure characters that you would love to see make an appearance, maybe again in a very minor role in this trilogy? Email us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com. And we would also love to hear any comments, suggestions, or, or anything else you think we should review. Yes. You can also talk to us on Twitter at hittingplay. Now, do you have anything to plug, Sean? Uh, I guess I'll throw Lily Bone here. Uh, her YouTube page is lilypushin22. Lilliputian22, she does, we do Minecraft things. We have our own Minecraft page, which we haven't updated in a little bit, which is Three Blind Mice, which you can also search for. Me, Scott, and Lily do Minecraft shenanigans. Uh, besides that, I would like to thank uh, Justice League of America, my mom, and my brother. And again, if anybody has that issue of Justice League of America, I forget which one it is now. I mentioned <laughs> in a previous episode, please email me so I'd be interested in purchasing it. Yeah, if you have a number one, I'm sure. Sean oh, yeah, would, yeah, would cheap. To... I'll be. Oh, actually, I'll put those out there Justice League of America, number nine. Number nine. 
which is the cover of them growing into trees, the members of the Justice League. I have a copy of that. I am missing a center page, which is affecting its value greatly. So if anyone has a cheap version of that they want to sell me for the center page, I'd be happy to take it off your hands. Email us at um, hittingplayshow at gmail.com. I am on Twitter. My handle is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I'm also on Vine. My name is also MC and Friends there. I do flip page animation. I do little cartoons and try to be funny anyway. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. We will try to do something very fun and include your name, provided your name is not something that we would not be comfortable saying. <laughs> My brother and sister-in-law supposedly left a five-star review. You're liars, you guys. You're liars. you're liars because I haven't seen any five-star reviews. Oh, yeah. Anybody that wants to leave a five-star review for us? Uh, we will we'll do something special. We did a uh, we had Batman <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Or... Yep, Morgan Freeman will announce the uh, five star review <laughs> for Andy Dufresne. Yes, Andy Dufresne. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Instead of Lucius Fox, we'll do a you know uh, Shawshank's Redemption character, or maybe Driving Miss Daisy character. That's a good one. Well, we'll 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 see. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, see. Okay. <laughs> well, we have been Sean and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. On behalf of all of us, including Lily, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Good night. May the sequels be with you. (laughs) 